what it's given me is it's given me the capacity to love unconditionally, to forgive easily. Um, and you know, people can have conflicted opinions about that, but I, I don't hold there's I don't hate anybody, I don't hold any grudges, and I'm very grateful to my mother for indirectly teaching me that it's also it's also my experience has given me the ability to reframe my life so i will look at things in my life that happen and i will think how can i frame this to get an alignment with the man that i am and and the person that i am and the way that i conduct myself my attitudes my behaviors my language the decisions that i make how can i reframe this situation and I, I do that to ensure that I am congruent to the direction that I'm going in. And, and I, I accredit a lot, of, a lot of that to, yeah, to my upbringing, to the, having the absence of that motherly figure. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. My gosh, am I pumped to share with you today's podcast. Jamie Milne is an incredible soul, a good friend of mine, and someone who I have absolutely adored for many, many years. I feel privileged that he's from New Zealand and when you hear his story and the things he has been through, I just know you're going to want to share this podcast with every single human you know and love. And maybe for you ladies listening to this, this is the perfect one to share with the men in your life. You know, Jamie was born and raised in Rotorua in New Zealand. He also spent seven years in the New Zealand military before he branched into the fitness and wellness space. He's lived on the Sunshine Coast since 2015. And it was whilst he was a young man, it was Jamie's own personal quest for relief from a debilitating relationship with alcohol and food that compelled him to seek professional help to relieve his burden. And it's been through his own processes, his own journey, that he has found some of the most remarkable tools that has been able to now be incorporated into what he does with his two businesses. He knows that our problems exist in our mindset and that irrespective of the experience or the trauma or the disorder, we know how extremely debilitating, no matter how insignificant these things may appear to others. And I think as you'll find out in this, it is through his hard-won personal experience in breaking through barriers and taking control of the mindsets that limit our potential. And that is what he is so freaking good at. He's not only qualified in hypnosis and cognitive behavior and NLP and all of those amazing mindset skills, but he's also an internationally recognized endurance athlete. He's the author of 12 Weeks to an Ultra Marathon. He's got a couple of new books coming, which you'll see in the notes and at the end. And he also has a remarkable world record for the most amount of burpee, broad jumps and distance covered in one event. Let me just reframe this. Picture doing 4,267 burpees across eight and a half kilometers in the heat and humidity of Cairns. As he says in the podcast, anyone is welcome to go after that world record. But I think you'll see as you listen to this phenomenal human 
his heart, his compassion, his incredible desire to serve and help others. And I think more than anything, his extensive abilities in doing ultras, you will see why his latest book, his new book about to be released, The Ultra Marathon of Life, is such an incredible direct metaphor for all the things that we experience in life. He's a writer, he's a trainer, he's exceptional in someone who really wants to raise the bar and up-level. He's a boxing coach, he has a remarkable community and his beautiful gym. And I also think one of the most beautiful things about Jamie is his ability and desire to help others. Many miles for Mary, helping raise money for Dementia Australia. He's done many things for uh, the Ronald McDonald House in Auckland and Tasmania, the Black Dog Institute, and the Just Be Nice Project. So, you know, get ready for this incredible soul, this endurance athlete, philanthropist and author. He's an accomplished businessman and a notable professional career working for professional athletes, coaching privately and through his own training businesses. And he's also worked, just for a little side note, for the Kuwaiti royal family. Lock in, lock it in, guys. Get ready. You're going to want to take notes and make sure you head to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, and Instagram, Kim Morrison28. Make sure you head to both those pages. I can't wait to hear your feedback on this week's podcast. Jamie Milne, you're an inspiration to me. I love you dearly. And it is an incredible honor to have you on the Self Love Podcast. So as you can hear in that intro, Jamie Milne is definitely someone I would call a brother from another mother. He is a superstar in his own right. He's phenomenal. He's got the X factor. He's an endurance athlete. He's a crazy dude. He's super fit, super healthy. And I absolutely love his approach to life. Jamie Milne, welcome to the Self Love Podcast. Oh, hi, Kimmy. How are you? Thank you very much. Thinking, who's this guy she's talking about? My God, he sounds like a pretty cool dude. <laughs> he is, he is. But for those people who haven't had the privilege of getting to know you or maybe don't know much about you, would you mind just giving us a brief overview as to who you are, your upbringing, and what led you to doing and being who you are today? Oh, you've come out with the big guns, Kimmy, but I'll, I'll, I will do my best to keep this as short as I can. Um, yeah. thank you once again for the, for the intro and look, I, I have a, well, I'll start where I am now and then I'll, um, reverse engineer this and go back as quickly as I can. I, I've got a gym here on the Sunshine Coast, uh, to call it a gym is a bit of a, uh, is a little bit misleading. It's more like a, a club. It's like a, an awesome community, lots of like-minded people, the old birds of a feather, flock together type scenario. So we've got a brilliant culture, fantastic community. Uh, we just so happen to exercise together as well, which is nice. And I have a small, uh, what I call a mind gym, where I do various models of psychotherapy and um, sort of mental performance coaching and things like that. And I've been on the Sunshine Coast for about six years. And prior to that, in the fitness industry, for about 16 years, um, which is a, quite a long time for this industry. Uh, I'm still madly passionate about it, super enthusiastic. I think it's a magnificent um, profession to be in, which often makes me feel like it's not necessarily work. It's like having lots of awesome conversations with people I actually like, which is cool. 
Um, I've authored a couple of books and done a few other crazy things in the endurance world. Prior to that, I've worked overseas a lot, from the Middle East to the UK to New Zealand. Um, was in the military for seven years and nearly swanned my way back into the military as well as a, as a mature adult, um, which is open to um, <laughs> open to discussion. People's definitions of mature, obviously, <clears throat> and uh, spent a bit of time at university. And that, that's kind of my, the, the overview of my adult life in a really, really short version. Now, my younger years, my formative years, infancy, I was born in Rotorua. I was primarily raised by my father with uh, my grandparents' influence. He was a solo dad. Um, so my mum left when I was very, very young and solo fathering was was not was there wasn't a lot of guys running around raising children i must admit in the 70s and 80s so we we were a bit of a rarity in my hometown most people could identify us or we were easily recognizable because we had no money we were pretty poor and uh, i was the kid getting doubled around on the handlebars and that's of my dad's push bike and that's kind of how i got to school when i was a young fella so at the time it was highly embarrassing but now i kind of think it was some of the coolest moments of my life actually so that was uh growing up in Rotorua was a little bit tough times were hard it was in terms of the demographic and um, socioeconomic status uh most people were doing it pretty rough uh, but they were they were great years. Um, I didn't get any formal qualifications from school. Uh, school was certainly not part of my highlight reel. Um, I often, when I think about my schooling, it reminds me of, and this kind of may may summarise me in a bit of a paragraph. So my English teacher, right, who I thought we were like besties. I thought we were really good friends until I read my report card one day before I got home. I thought I'll have a little sneaky peek at the tail of the tape because surely this has got to be the one glowing report I get. So I have a little read, right? And my English teacher uh, in form, uh, fifth form, which I'm not sure that might be like year 11 or year 12. Maybe it's a bit more than that. I'm not sure. But I read the uh, report and my English teacher wrote, Jamie is one of the most intelligent stupid people i have ever met and this is legitimately what she wrote and then it went she went on to further write uh he's very charismatic uh, i find him to be very witty uh, has an interesting sense of humor and jamie often uses these skills and attributes to sabotage my lessons and i thought oh jeez don't know whether that is that a compliment or is that a bit of a yeah I'm not sure, but anyway that was that was about the the, the best thing I, I got out of my school years, so no formal education whatsoever and I was very fortunate to be able to get into the Royal New Zealand Navy at the age of sixteen when at the time um, you could kind of get in with a bit of you know uh, who you know type thing the old who's who in the zoo. So I was fortunate enough, my dad was a diver in the Navy for about 11 years. So that was my segue into the New Zealand military, uh, where I spent seven years of my life. So that, that my darling Kimmy, is a very short summary of, um, of myself.
Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And I know you've brushed over a few areas quite quickly and simply, which we will come back to. But mm. you know, growing up tough in Aotearoa, New Zealand, our both of our home country, there is something mm. very special about New Zealand. And there you are in the heart of what we'd call the cultural identity of New Zealand. Do you mm. think that helped formulate that essence of mana, of our beautiful culture in New Zealand? Do you honour that? Do you feel connected to that, even though you're so far away? Yeah, look, I, I do. I think it certainly laid the foundation um, for me as a man. It, it just, it took me, it took me a little bit to arrive at that destination. I mean, it's obviously still a bit of a journey, but I had a lot of growing up to do and I I was very immature. And it wasn't until recently, a few years ago, that, um, and obviously a mutual friend of ours, uh, Paul Alessio, he, he said to me, maturity was defined by one's ability to take responsibility. And I thought, whoa, that was just so profound because I thought, well, I haven't done that for quite a bit of my life. So that that kind of, uh, that explains a few things. So, uh, but I was fortunate to have these principles and as you speak of like mana and and this this real affinity to, to, to our culture, it was always there. I just perhaps didn't respect it enough in my younger years and I'm, I'm very grateful. I went to a bilingual school, and for those that that aren't sure what that is, it, it's essentially a school that um, it's facilitated by the use of two languages, and one was English and one was Maori. So I went to Fakarewa Primary School, which uh, was primarily, if I remember right, it was about 80 percent of it was in Maori, and the rest was obviously English, and that was especially like maths and science and some of the more technical things, but that it was. Eat in culture, and but as a young man, it's almost it was almost too much for me. And being a half caste, having a foot in each paddock, you know, a Maori mother and a Scottish father, I didn't. I felt like my perception was I, I felt like I didn't quite fit in. I wasn't quite in the European paddock uh, because of my brown skin, and then I wasn't quite Maori enough to be right in with with. Um, the fully fledged Maori, so I, I I felt very on the fence, and and I'm sure other people can that are sort of mixed ethnicities can can relate to that. So I found that a little difficult. However, when we talk about mana and we talk about some of the the, the cultural aspects of our country, like they were that that was the the fundamental you know, concrete slab of my life. Like it, it's, I still reflect now and think a lot of who I am and how I conduct myself now is primarily thanks to that, those informative years, those early years. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Kimmy. Mm. I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but No, it's yeah. beautiful. I really appreciate it. And I think I'd just love to know that because now, as a grown man, as someone who was doing a lot around mindset and understanding the significance of how much we think is what drives behavior based mm. on our emotions from those ways of thinking and behaving, 
Do you believe then uh, those first, you know, seven years or so, the imprinting that you had being in Rotorua and growing up foot in each camp, you wouldn't have probably understood that in those first seven years. But looking back now at the work you've done with yourself, is that what's brought you back to connect to who you are, your essence? Is it, is it now as an adult you can look back and be grateful, really grateful for those 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 first seven years of imprinting in that kind of ability to be in that environment? Oh, another fantastic question. God, I know I'm hanging out with the big guns today. Wow. I must say, I, I actually got goosebumps when you were ask, asking that question. I got absolute tingles through my body because I, I, I 100% believe <clears throat> that's exactly why I've reconnected, reintegrated with my beginning, going back to the start. And I was reminded, you know, of who I am and where I come from and what that actually represents. And I remember in our school, right, it, it, we, it was designed almost like a marae. So if you could imagine your normal school hall was like a whareinui. So we had the big carvings on the walls and the tickle tickle patterns <clears throat> on the inside. And a, a lot of Australian people, and, and I mean, globally, you'll see Maori people now, it's, it's very much um, uh, a, a, a much more popular culture in terms of like tamoho and tattoos. And you'll see a lot of people getting around with Maori tattoos. And to even be reminded of the significance of those, you know, the fact that where wherever I go or where the, wherever Maori people go, our whole family goes, our ancestors, the spirits of those that have gone, um, before us, you know, they look after us, they go with us, they support us, they guide us, they pay the way in front of us. Um, so you never go alone. And that for me has given me great courage and reminded me, you know, to be courageous and to, and to be, I don't like the word hard as in like, you got to, you know, get hard, stay hard, all that type of stuff. But it, it just reminds me to be brave and to be hard when it gets hard, when life gets hard, to reflect and remember where I come from. You know, I come from a people that are warriors, that um, are spiritual people. And and to circle back to like tamahos, like I have Maori tattoos on my arms and all over my back to tell a story of my life and my family and where I come from. And you'll, and not many people would know, but in a traditional tamoho, and um, you may already know this, Kimmy, but there's, there's gaps in it. There's little lines. Like it almost looks like old mate's run out of ink on his little tattoo then because there's big, gap, big gaps in it. I got, got, got the half price, 50% off tattoo, and there's these gaps in it. But those gaps, they, they, are, they are entranceways and pathways for the spirits of your ancestors to flow freely through your body uninhibited. And that's what that represents. And so it's little things like that that have given me confidence to, I suppose, navigate my, my way through my world and my environment as, a, uh, as an adult. I just, now I'm covered in goosebumps. I, oh. I honestly, there is something about all Indigenous cultures and all um, ancestral 
um, energies and and beliefs and and traditions and all of those things. It kind of makes us feel like we belong to something, and it's something that, as a European, a Pakeha, that I just I feel like we don't tap into enough. And I'm mm. sure I was a Maori in a previous life because I was the only honky, the only white person <laughs> in the Maori club at school. So I just I just loved it. I loved it. There's this little white face sticking up in a monkey. Used to really want to be part of the whole thing, and yeah. Um, so I just, I don't know. There's a real calling for me, and there's a real, I don't know. There's something I even wrote about the word mana in my book because it just mm. that's how much it means to me. That essence, that respect, that incredible cultural identity, and I just want to ask you then. So you know, obviously, you took it for granted as a little boy, and I imagine most kids do. And it's not until we go through tough times or we're actually out in the big wide world by ourselves that we then get Mm. to realize just how safe and secure and amazing the monotony or the boringness or the, the shaping of us that we may seem as not adventurous when we're kids. But you went into the Navy and for many people, the Navy, the military, the army, those sorts of places are about creating discipline and about creating or even finding the man, the the threshold of crossing the pathway into manhood. Do you think that that set you in a positive light? Was it tough for you? Did you miss home? How did that um, create uh, some of the foundations of who you are today? And is it really important to you? Yeah, look, my my time in the military, Kimmy, it was, you know, uh, fundamental to to my character. It 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 really amplified, um, I suppose, my awareness of of who I am the the good, the bad, and um, the really ugly. So I, and I was I've been thinking about it a lot as I've I've been. Um, doing a fair bit of writing and journaling and and uh, writing a, another book myself and and I thought about it and beyond the 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 positive aspects for me were some of the basic things and you you had alluded to a couple of those like discipline and things like that like they they were enormous my old boss used to say to me you know and here's a here's an example where he would say you're either ten minutes early or you're late. Like you, you must be here ten minutes before, or you're late. Like no excuses. And so little things like that around being tardy and like we used to get charged if you were late. That was seen as being AWOL or you know absent without leave. Um, so little things like that. And I, and I didn't even really know how to shower myself properly. And I sit here thinking, God, was I really that bad? And I remember the instructor like saying, you know, we get the soap boys. And, and if you could imagine like 30 brown boys standing there and the instructor's got a bar of soap going. So the soap goes under the armpits and we hucky hucky over there. And then we lift up this one and we get hucky hucky over there. And I'm thinking like, oh, true. So he just goes straight to the armpits, eh? And then, then what happened? And then he's like, you know, and then you get in there, legs wide, and you get underneath the bells and whistles and you huck out over there. And I, and I had never actually been shown, like, this is how you bathe yourself properly. This is how you iron your clothes. This is how you, you know, you make your bed. Um, and that wasn't because my dad was negligent deliberately. He, he unfortunately had a, a horrific motorcycle accident, which changed the course of his life um, through brain trauma um, from the head injury. And um, he had a paralyzed arm and back injury. And so... You know, he was doing the best that he could uh, with the resources that he had and, and, and at that time. 
uh, as I as I mentioned in the eighties and stuff as a solo dad, so it wasn't necessarily easy for him, and I and I wasn't necessarily an e- an easy child to manage. So when I got to the navy, a lot of those really basic things that maybe mum might have shown you or, or grandparents, um, I'd, I'd sort of skip that bit. So those those basic things were timely and you know fundamentally amazing for me. But what I did realise, and and I've only come about this recently was I I learned about the difference between confidence and self-image and confidence my belief is confidence is what we show the world so this is what I'm going to show you I'm going to basically I'm like an actor I'm going to show you that I'm confident now I was an amateur boxer Kimmy that was my sport and um, I think we might might have remembered uh, I was I was trained by Kevin Barry Sr who trained Steve Gurney, who who fought Danny in the it was in the celebrity boxing match. So boxing boxing was um, my sport, and and you need to have a a relatively large degree of confidence. Most people that understand the combat sports, and you'd understand with your experience with Danny, that if you're not confident, you you're going to get spat out the back. It's not going to end well, and that's going to you know favor your opponent. So I, I had this confidence and most people that had met me or had been, you know, affiliated with me or knew me would say, Jamie's a confident person, and which I was. But the problem with the confidence was I was literally acting. That I, my self-image was extremely low. I didn't love myself very much. I didn't respect myself. I didn't care for myself. I'd abuse myself <clears throat> with partying and um, alcohol abuse, um, just just my view of myself was poor. So I had this confidence I was showing the world, but my self-image was an all-time low. And self-image, from my perception or perspective, is what we think about ourselves. And so when I was younger, you know, I couldn't look at myself when I was having a shave in the morning. I didn't like what I, what I, the, I didn't like the reflection. I'll be brushing my teeth, or as my instructor said, "hucky hucky, hucky hucky," out my uh, my teeth and my gums, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like what I what was coming bouncing back at me out of the mirror. So I, <clears throat> I had learnt the potent difference between confidence and self image, and you know I'm not sure I would have come to that realization had it not been for my time in the military. So that was probably my largest teaching my largest learning from my time uh, in the Navy. Mm, it's pretty profound and pretty mm. extraordinary to actually come to that realisation. And, you know, you're speaking of self-image and the confidence and obviously um, they're pretty big barometers of how we measure who we are in society and how we fit. What is your definition then of self-love? Ooh, self-love. So Self-love to me, self-love to me, it's almost like a 360-degree, 24-7, not obligation, but almost like a necessity. I I believe it it starts with you, so you first, uh, then your significant other, your partner, then the children. <clears throat> and then um, everything else uh, in terms of that ecological effect. So if, if, 
if I'm going by my assumption that um, it's me first, it's me first being self-fulfilled. Self-love to me is self-fulfillment. And self-fulfillment means ensuring that my cup stays relatively full, if not overflowing. <clears throat> and it means, it, and to me, it, it doesn't mean being selfish because I can do that really well as, as well. It's having the wisdom to know the difference between the two. So for me, self-fulfillment comes down to being able to meditate each day, being able to connect with the ocean. Um, and I, I love surfing. I, I like to move my body. Uh, I like to take care of my mind and to, to circle back about uh, to the sport of boxing. When you come out from the corner, uh, the last thing the referee says to you is, he, do you know what he says to you? Can you remember, Kimmy? It's box the last or thing. fight or box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so, um, you're, you're a rough girl. I could Kill just him. imagine you, eh? <laughs> now, that's, now that's the Kimmy I know and love. <laughs> the, I was just thinking when you were talking about the Maori performance, the kapahaka stuff, and being the white girl, I could see you right in the middle getting stuck in a eh? poi flying everywhere. Big old stuff. Oh, I had no yeah. talent, no talent, <laughs> but I That's tried. Just, oh, yeah, I'm sure you would have done well. The um, oh, I'm getting lost now. But because, oh, that's where. I, so the referee says to you, right before you come out swinging. Uh, before the fight and kill him and all that type of stuff, he says, protect yourself at all times. Now, to me, that I, I, I find the parallel in life with that. I ensure that I, I do my best to protect myself at all times. I protect my mind. I stand guard over my, my heart. I protect my body by <clears throat> nourishing it with good food, with exercise and things like that. And, yeah, I don't get it right all of the time. I'm certainly imperfectly human like, like the rest of us, but I understand the universal principle of, of nourishing and nurturing my body. So they are, <clears throat> they are some of the things that I, that I do to ensure that I feel self-fulfilled, that I love myself first, and to make reference to making sure my cup is full, if not spilling and pouring over. Because if my cup is pouring over and there's uh, there's special Jamie juice, Jamie tea flying all over the place, then the rest of the people that I care about, my important people, then they can get a drink as well. So they can have a slurp from my cup. But if my cup is bone dry and the ass has been drank out of it and I'm knackered and tired and overwhelmed and in a low mood <clears throat> and I don't, I'm not loving myself enough, I'm not doing the things that keep me whole, fulfilled, then how am I meant to to be of any, to be of any quality or service to those that I love and my important people? And, and of course, that ripples out into the greater community. Yeah. Oof, yeah. That's what I got. That's all I got, Kimmy. That's big. It was. So that's, yeah. I think you need to actually, yeah, you know, listen to that again, write it down. There's the byline of JMT, Jamie Milne Training. There's your little byline. I reckon it's awesome. Oh, oh there we go. Sign a waiver. Get into it. Fill up yeah. your cup. We're, we're on. <laughs> fill up your cup. Well, let's talk about that because um, you did mention it, but you used to fill your cup with a whole lot of hard alcohol and you used to sabotage. Oh, <laughs> to really abuse yourself and mm. I'm curious about this because 
is it because we don't like ourselves and we think that things like alcohol, drugs or sex or all of the things that we think give us this pleasure point actually Mm. is just an avoidance of looking within and searching for why we need those substances in order to make us feel better? Why? What were you thinking at the time? Why do you think that happens to people? And how the hell did you find the way out of that? Oh, geez, you've gone right into the right into the back of the laundry. Having a hucky hucky in the laundry there, having a look around. So anyway, <laughs> when you mentioned the hucky hucky of all the uh, you know the dangly bits that got me going, I was just you know I was couldn't help myself. <laughs> How do you know they're dangly bits? Jeepers, creepers. That's a, I think that's you said story. tackle. <laughs> I, take, <laughs> I use a spritz these days uh, for a little perk me up, little spritz. It's actually got some essential oils in there. I might I might add. Oh, I but hope anyway, it's not cinnamon and burning you. But anyway. <laughs> cinnamon, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! There, see, there's money to be made for me. I tell you, there's men out there that need a ball balm with with oil. A ball balm. There you go. You heard it first from the Self Love Podcast. You're welcome, men. Cinnamon and uh, marshmallow root. Oh, that's geez. A, you'll be on fire. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's what we need. Anyway, brings so a back, back, word or feeling to balls of steel. Put it that way. <laughs> oh, so there's your, there's the branding. 28 essential oils. When you need a little perk me up, when you need a spritz, just get in there. Cinnamon, uh, marshmallow root, balls of it. steel. I love You're it. welcome. You're I welcome. There we go. Um, so the grog. Look, this has been a multifaceted, multi-layered relationship uh, for me with alcohol. One thing I will I will say is I know without a shadow of doubt, I unfortunately have the alcoholism gene. So, and what, and, and for those that don't know, it's basically I have a physical uh, and a mental allergy to alcohol. So, basically, once I get a little taste of it, I can't put the handbrake on. It's game on. It's not the, uh, it's not the, the 15th schooner that catches me out. It's the first one. And so knowing the difference between being an alcoholic and having that addiction to live with for the rest of my life and knowing that it is an addiction and it is a disease and that's, that's, a, that's fact and, and knowing the difference between addiction and a bad habit was a real starting point for me to know that this is taboo as the subject is. Like nobody likes talking about the fact they've got a mate that um, that can't, you know, slow down when he's drinking, that, you know, we've all got that one friend that makes a dick of himself and I'm generally that friend for a lot of people. So knowing the difference between the two was huge. And when I look back on the timeline of my life, and, yeah, and other people might remember this, you know, when you're first dabbling, you know, like you got Nanny Mavis's bloody whiskey cabinet and you're, you're all of sort of, well, we were about nine, ten years old, and like you take a little cap off the top and you have a little slurp and, you know, four of your mates are like, oh, God, that's disgusting, you know, and they're straight back into the cordial from the fridge or the juice, whereas I had a little sip and, yeah, it was disgusting and, yeah, it was, it burnt my little nine-year-old throat. But then there was another part of me that thought it was almost like a flame. It's like, you know, you know, if you grab some fire, you stick your hand in a fire, you're going to get fucking burnt, like without a doubt. But you've still got that curiosity. It's like, oh, it's pretty cool, but like, it's quite interesting how this, and then that sort of childlike curiosity. So I knew this stuff's not good for me. I'm getting burnt here. 
but there was still this overwhelming desire to be to have another cat pool, try another one of you know Nan's bloody liqueurs or dirty old thirty year old sherry that Granddad's had in the bottom of his pantry for forever and a day, and and so I knew that something was was aloof, something wasn't right. And so going into the military and the power drinking culture, which was enormous going through the 90s and into the early 2000s, um, I slotted right in, loved it, absolutely suited me to a T. And being a binge drinker, like there's a lot of different classifications of an alcoholic like most of us would think of an alcoholic as the guy on the park bench you know with the brown paper bag or the lady on the park bench with the brown paper bag there's there's lots of you know we've got functioning alcoholics we've got non-functioning alcoholics we've got binge drinkers and and I was a binge drinker and but the problem was I'd get intoxicated Kimmy and and I'd forget who my friends are they go to shake my hand and I'd and I'd be throwing left hands and and right hooks and uppercuts and the problem was even though I thought I was a good fighter it turned out I wasn't as good as I thought I was and I, often I'd get myself a little touch up for, for being a, a drunken idiot so it, it wasn't a good mix for me and the military um, flagged me early on in the piece I was I think I was 19 and they and I had been charged for basically drunken fighting and they said if this happens again, uh, Milne, you, you're you out. Like we've got zero tolerance for this carry on and, you know, the Navy's changing and all this sort of getting drunk and punching on is unacceptable. And so they offered me, I could either go to AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous, or I could go to a military-based rehab. And I knew that if I went to a military-based rehab, I wouldn't have to, uh, sorry, I'd, everybody would know including my bosses and my peers. So I took the AA route and thought, because of the anonymity, I thought, oh, this is a bit of me. And I remember sliding in there in Auckland at the ripe old age of 19, and there was, you know, everything. And and, and I remember judging all these people. You know, you had the, the old guy, the stereotypical um, perceived alcoholic, and then there was a few young people, and I would look and I think, man, I am nothing like you guys. I'm like in the navy, and you know, my 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 ego couldn't fit through the door. I need a bit of olive oil just to slide on in. I was just like, this is not. You know, I shouldn't be here. And and it, and as it turns out, as the years have gone on, I've realised I'm exactly like these people. We we are all the same. Um, and, and so that was an enormous realisation for me. But it took me a very long time to, to realise that I, I just cannot drink again. And for an alcoholic, I suppose, Kimmy, the, it's progressive. It never gets better. So as you get older, it's not like, well, I'm starting to outgrow this. I'm actually, uh, I can actually manage myself quite well. Like that's a, that's a fallacy. It actually progressively gets worse. And so discovering that and living through that and the various rock bottoms that come as a byproduct of this problem of mine, I realized that I, I needed the ongoing support. And, and for me personally, that support looks like, you know, staying connected with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I speak to a mental performance coach once a month. 
um, and little things like that. So I, I, it's been nearly two years since I've had a splash, um, and and I'm I'm completely and utterly happy living a sober life. It was just, I suppose, the hypocrisy of being in the fitness industry, you know, drinking all weekend and then coming into the gym on a Monday and saying to everybody they should be eating chicken, broccoli and half a dozen almonds uh, and stay off the booze. The hypocrisy was starting to really, really affect me. And to circle back to the confidence and self-image situation, you know, how is a human being meant to look at themselves in the mirror when they're putting in product in their hair. Oh, I love product. So when I'm putting product in my hair and I've got to look at myself in the eyes and have that moment of accountability and how can you do that when, you know, essentially your house isn't clean and that's how I felt and that was one of the huge catalysts for me. And I suppose I'm not – religious at all but however there there is one little saying that it gave me a bit of peace kim it was it was the oh god i'm not going to try and quote it it was john chapter 7 verse 7 16 uh but there was a there was a quote in the bible that said let he who has not sinned cast the first stone and so while i was wallowing and bathing in my misery of all the dumb shit that i've done um, on some of my drunken escapades, when I was trying to basically come home to myself, when I was trying to enhance my self-image and love myself and respect myself, I was reminded that no one is at fault and that the dumb shit that I have done in my past are lessons and they will become my greatest teacher. And so that gave me the resources the tools that I needed to to start this journey back to myself and um, and of healing. Whew. That was pretty big. That's, yeah, and it's pretty amazing to to even share it. And I'm sure for many people, the pathway of actually being able to share it that journey from acknowledging it and knowing it's a problem, taking accountability and responsibility for it, owning the dumb shit you've done, but then Mm. also realising that there's an opportunity to change in every moment and that you Mm. can turn it round. And I'm just curious, and I know I probably am going all in here, but you know how much I love you. Um, (laughs) Just curious around your your relationship. You grow up, I mean, obviously to have a solo dad was was extraordinary and, Mm. you know, to to have him step up in those times and to be that person for you. But how much do you think not having your mum around has affected you? We all have a story. We all have things we could blame or look back on and wish were different. But how have you come to resolve your uh, want of, of having that mother figure in your life? Yeah, look, I that's an interesting question. I often reflect on life and of course you and i um we have this i suppose you could call it an honor um and 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 a privilege to be able to work with human beings on on a very intimate level um whilst there's differences there's also a lot of similarities and i think the common thread that i have noticed and and it has played an enormous role in my life is that it's almost like 
we have to go through our version of pain to to experience pleasure and you know we've got to go through the struggle to develop some strength and i mean i could rattle off a whole heap of other examples of that and 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 one one that one more that i will share is that my pain led me to my purpose now whilst i can't pin that all on my upbringing and certainly um the absence of my mother i i can confidently say it 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 didn't help the trajectory of my life um was it did it impact me profoundly i'm i'm really not sure um i i whilst i don't communicate with my mother or have anything to do with her i do love her unconditionally and i have forgiven her even though i haven't physically said that to her i know as a parent and i know with my experience we like love is the most powerful emotion we have on this planet and it and it does really cure everything it it gives us the capacity to forgive to give away the negative emotions that we experience um from certain things um yeah i would have loved those times when it was like mother's day or you know your mum's come to school with the with the caramel slice or the custard squares and she come into the gala day and stuff and of course i i had my dad <laughs> if you met my dad it was it was uh, my friends loved it they thought he was he was a classic cuz he was uh, yeah very childlike and and loved to just do boy stuff i suppose so so i was fortunate in that sense but what what it's what it's given me is it's given me the capacity to love unconditionally to 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 forgive easily um and you know people can have conflicted opinions about that but i i don't hold there's i don't hate anybody i don't hold any grudges and i'm very grateful to my mother for indirectly teaching me that it's also it's also my experience has given me the ability to reframe my life so i will look at things in my life that happen and i will think how can i frame this to get an alignment with the man that i am and and the person that i am and the way that i conduct myself my attitudes my behaviors my language the decisions that i make how can i reframe this situation and i i do that to ensure that i am congruent to the direction that i'm going in and and i i accredit a lot of, a lot of that to yeah to my upbringing to the, having the absence of that that motherly motherly figure. Oof. Yeah. There's another motherly figure though, someone that you've ended up spending a lot of your time raising funds for in honor of her. Talk mm. to us about Mary. Oh. Now you now you get a now you got a, we've gone from butterflies and and pins and needles to an apple in my throat. I got to be careful. You you'll have a grown man in tears, Kimmy. I try and tell everybody. I told you I try to be confident. I'm I'm tough. I'm a boxing coach. I'm all that stuff. And have a grown man crying in a minute. Um, yeah, I was very fortunate for a very short period of my life to be to be truly blessed um, to have a uh, yeah a grandmother that uh, stepped in to that to that role for that short period. Um, and honestly, Kimmy, she 
two really big things stand out when when I think about her. Um, and she used to say to me, Jamie, manners make the man. And 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 not only did she tell me that or remind me about that, she showed me. And sometimes it was really embarrassing, like walking into the bank or something. Get you know, back in the day, we had to go on with the little with the little bank book in New Zealand, the little savings book. And I go to walk into the bank, and I'd go, and I remember going to cut in front of a lady and getting dragged back by my ears, like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." You know, seven, six or seven years of age, and you know, having to let the lady walk in before me, open doors for ladies, and um, table manners, and and so she was enormous on the very primal basics of uh, of good manners. And she used to say to me, "Jamie, always be nice, but take no rubbish." And that was the other. And I kind of changed that a little bit. And now that I've got older, I said, "Always be nice, Jamie, but take no shit." So that's uh, that's my 2021 version of uh, Nanny's wisdom, but she uh, she unfortunately uh, got got the early onset uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, um, and so that was that was horrific to watch that over about a twelve year period. So it wasn't swift, unfortunately. Um, but what I did get to to bear, bear witness, I'm sorry if my stories go on a little bit, Kimmy. Mm-hmm. Or just, you've, beautiful. You've poked the bear. I'm mm-hmm. off. I'm on a tangent now. I'm with you. So, yeah. So she, she, you know, we talk about true love and we and we and you know relationships and things like that. Like I got to witness, like like the the movie The Notebook. Mm-hmm. You know, Noah and God. If you're a bird, I'm a bird. See, Kimmy, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. Whatever that. Don't tell Danny though. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I've seen him box. He'd give me a, a crisp left hook if he hears me talking like that to his he wife. Beat, and, he Remember, you know, like let's just recall that that boxing charity fight. He did actually beat him. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> See, that's that Maori girl in you. That's that Kiwi girl. Competitive. He did win, just to let just to let everybody know. He fought very well, I must admit. Um but it, it, yeah, so I I I watched that like as my nanny um gotten progressively sicker and sicker my granddad used to visit her every day in the in the nursing home he'd feed her breakfast lunch and dinner and like didn't miss a beat and he used to call me when i was in the navy and he'd say like when you're home you need to ensure you go and see your nanny and stuff and when i was a young man i'd be like oh man she can't even talk to me like and it's like there's no point granddad like it's too full-on he'd be like no you make sure you get in there and you see your grandmother and and he, he just treated her like a princess for as far back as I can remember to the very day she took her last breath. And I, and, I, and I saw that with my own eyes. I watched that all of those years. And I even to the point that in some family get-togethers and stuff, I would say to family members, like, you know, when it's dangerous to put a person on a pedestal and even, you know, obviously people that you really respect and, and adore. And he was a mentor to me and to – and I was I was so nervous that when she passed away, I thought, oh no, you know, some skeleton's going to come out of the closet. And it was almost like I was waiting for it because um, he was so charismatic, and everybody loved my grandfather. Like literally, I just wanted to grow up and be like him. I just want everyone to love me like they love my grandfather, and that would be amazing. And and to this day, there has never, ever, ever, ever 
been a bad word spoken about those two and he never raised his voice. Um, you know, we can pick holes in that type of relationship all day long, but at the end of the day, I got to witness my own version of the notebook and the way she cared for me and instilled some of the principles that I, you know, and values I have now, I, I just, you know, I can't verbalise how thankful and how grateful I was to have my own, um, my, my own sort of angel on, on planet Earth. I got to have one for a little while. Yeah, that's extraordinary. And talk to us then how that motivated you to start doing your ultras. Let's, let's move into that. I mean, what crazy person with the story you've told so far, how on earth did you get into doing endurance and ultra events? What was the catalyst there? And then how did Mary become a significant part of that? Yeah. Um, so how, how that all came about. So the charity Many Miles for Mary, uh, I, I did a decade-long um, memoriam um, charity fundraising event type thing, and, and as you yeah, as you as you mentioned, it was all based around <clears throat> running an ultra endurance events, and that was because my granddad was uh, a very very seasoned and established marathon runner. So like he he did his last marathon at the age of seventy five. And that took him like eight hours or something. That was the Rotorua Marathon. I think it was called the Fletcher Marathon back then. Yeah. Um, and it was grueling. And so, like, he, he was – I don't think he was last, but he, he wasn't too far off. So he was first at the other end. And so I, I watched I watched him and I was dragged everywhere, coming from Narawahia to Huntley to Wellington to Nelson to – and, you know, if there was a running event, Grandad was in it. And he, he coached the Special Olympics in New Zealand. So all the track and field stuff. And so he was really um, heavily integrated in athletics and, and especially the marathon distance back home. And so when when we had Nanny's funeral, I was flown back from Papua New Guinea. I was peacekeeping in Bougainville and they flew me back. And I was a pallbearer and then obviously meant to say a few words. And I was a bawling mess. I couldn't breathe, let alone chuck a few words in. And to this day, well, I was going to use the word haunted. It doesn't, it's, that's a bit full on. It doesn't haunt me anymore, but it, it weighed heavily on my heart that I couldn't. In my simple way of thinking back then, I couldn't, I couldn't farewell her like everybody else. And I kept thinking, how is, how, how can my grandfather be so courageous? And, and what we know now, you know, brave, brave, courageous, vulnerable to stand in front of all these people and farewell and say goodbye to his wife and, you know, my dad and my uncles <clears throat> and I couldn't do it. And here I am meant to be this boxer and military man. And, and I, and I'm bawling my eyes out in front of everyone that I, that I ever knew. And so I left without, and I felt like I didn't get to say the things that I needed to say. And, oh, my God, that haunted me for, well, it turns out if I look back now, that that stayed with me for 10 years. I didn't start many miles for Mary, my true grieving process for another decade. So I, I kept that um, that feeling in my heart. In, in my soul and spirit for, for that long. And, and then essentially in, in 2009, 
just with a conversation with a guy. So this guy's name was Colin Martin, and he spent 40 years cycling around the world. So he circumnavigated the world. And, and what he would do was he'd work six months, um, and then he'd take six months off, and him and his family would take up where he left off. And I got to train with Colin for about a year, and it was the, basically the, his final year. So he was in his 60s. And when I first started working as a, um, as a personal trainer, he was in the gym. And I, I, of course, was like just gravitated to this crazy old man. Well, that's how I viewed him. <clears throat> I was like, wow. And he'd show me the photos of him and his push bike in Japan and him and his, you know, him in the middle of nowhere, like in Africa somewhere back in the 70s. And I'm just like, oh my God. And then one day I said to him, hey, I was, I'm thinking of doing this charity event like to honor my grandmother and, and raise a bit of money for dementia. And I said, you know, what do you reckon? Do I, do I have to talk to the police or council or who do I, who do I see about this? And Colin just said, hey, you don't see anybody. You just chuck your shoes on and just hurry up. Go and do it. What are you doing here? Off you go. And I'm like, well, what do you mean off you? Surely I've got to ask permission. He's like, no, don't, don't do that, mate. You better ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. <laughs> He's like, get your shoes on, son. What are you still doing here? And I'm like, really? And I said, oh, well, okay, okay. And I was like, well, all right. I'll start conservatively. I said, I'll, I'll run from Cairns to Townsville. That's what I'll do. And he's like, that's not conservative, Jamie. You haven't run like a half marathon and now you're going to want to run 320 kilometers in, in one hit. He's like, break it down into a few days, you know, do some training. So it was like he started training the trainer. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not how you do it. You do it like this. You break it down into little micro bits and blah, blah, blah. And, and he essentially gave me the gusto. He gave me the little push off the cliff I needed to see if my wings would open. And essentially that man, and just in that little matter-of-fact conversation, gave me the bravery I needed to, uh, to get into it. Mm-hmm. And then and I, didn't, uh, I didn't look back. I'd, I've run the length of the UK a couple of times. I've run the length of New Zealand three times, right around Tasmania. Uh, ran from Melbourne to, to the gym here on the sunny coast, which was horrific, by the way. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. Um, Western Australia, uh, yeah, Cancer Council, done, done, yeah, over 10 years raising money for, for Dementia Australia and Alzheimer's-related research. So mm, Amazing. How much did you raise, you know, overall? We, I was trying to figure it out the other day, so it's close to 100K. Wow. So it's a it's a yeah it's a significant amount and and that as as we know Kimmy you don't get to do amazing things by yourself I I've been very very fortunate to have and always have a group of people of beautiful people and and lots of different people that have been caught up in my infectious enthusiasm for for this event and and when you when you start to do a little good. Uh, other people can't help but get involved, and and you know the good brings out the good and good people. So yeah, had a fair, fair bit of that. Yeah. You're amazing, and there's lots of things which everyone will see in the notes as to other things that you've done. One big thing though, and there one of your big accomplishments is holding the world record for the most amount of burpees broad jumps. Um, I just <sighs> I actually can't even deal. You did 4,267 of those things across eight and a half kilometres. What the actual? 
yeah, yeah. That is so, oh, man. That's just one of those pure male moments where you just kind of like, I reckon this would be the go, away. Hey, have a crack at this. And you just start scratching around on Google. Whoever came up with Google, they're a bad man. So you're scratching around. It's like, oh. <laughs> that's, literally, that's literally what I thought. I'm like, oh. They did like just shy three thousand. Surely that can't be that bad. I was like, oh, that'll be able to uh, knock the top off of that one. That'll be all right. And so what I did was, I, I uh, misery loves company. So I reach out to a couple of my friends and I, I throw the suggestion out there. And that, that actually, we, we, we did that for the um, Black Dog uh, Institute. But we, I, I'm, I'm a simple kind of bloke. As my, t- my teacher was right back in uh, high school, the most intelligent, stupid person you'll ever meet. She actually summed that up really well. So I had this really intelligent idea of doing something awesome, but I just don't quite have the logic and rationality and the analytical safety aspect, all those those really important things you need when you do stuff like that. I just have these great ideas. Let's do this. This is a great idea. So I didn't kind of figure it out. Just And so we ended up doing it in the middle of summer in Cairns on the Esplanade, and it was so hot, Kim. I cannot begin to tell. And it's actually one thing I will safely say I will never do again. If anyone wants to crack that record, they are welcome to it. They can have it, the whole lot of it, just bathe in it, smear it all over themselves, go for it. The, it horrible. And we actually nearly killed my friend, which wasn't ideal. He got uh, rhabdomyelitis uh, and ended up getting rushed off to Cairns Base Hospital and on the drip and on the other gear and about to get hooked up to the dialysis because his kidneys were failing and all that type of jazz. And I remember like we're, we're about, oh, we must have, I think the previous world record was like seven and a half kilometres and we're like at seven Ks. And his wife, who has only just started talking to me now, is, <clears throat> is like, Benny's had enough. He he is he is not well. He is grey. He is vomiting. He's got diarrhea. He is dribbling on himself. He can't talk. Can't hold a conversation. He can't eat. He's not drinking. And there he is over there in the bush. Like he's not good. And so me being me, I get all navy and military on him. I'm like, yeah, just hold on. All right, all right, all right. I can see he's not well. He's not, you know, we're we're nearly there. We're ne- we've we're nearly got there. Let me just have a, I'll just have a quick chat to him. So there's like 30 odd people gathered around because we're nearly breaking the world record and, and Benny's like spasming in the bushes on the Esplanade. So I'm like, yeah, hold on, give us a sec, give us a sec. So I go over to Benny and I'm like, he's like, I'm done, mate, I'm done. I really don't feel well. I'm going to have to go to hospital. And I said, bro, come on, come on, man. I'm like, you, you're going to go off to the hospital, right? And Lee and I are going to continue. You're going to wake up in the morning in a hospital bed. You're going to look on the front page of the Cairns Post, and you're not you're not going to be there because you're in the hospital bed. I'm like you, and I to this day I feel so awful. I feel like I I nearly killed my friend, and I'm so I'm like putting the pressure on just gently, gently. I'm like so, mate, just you know a few more burpees, which ended up to be another 500 meters, which is about another 400 odd burpees. So that it's not you know when I say a few more, it was a significant amount. But anyway, short of the long, Kimmy. Benny saddled up. He, he got himself together. He had a good chat to himself. His wife was distraught. I actually think she left. She bailed, and we finished off the remaining reps, got the record. As soon as we crossed the line, Benny's off in the back of the ambulance, off to hospital, and he got uh, released about three or four days later. So yeah. 
If you're going to have a crack at that one, listeners, crikey, Dick, make sure you're ready. (laughs) And don't do it in cans. Don't do it in cans. (laughs) No. Dunedin or uh, a bluff. Somewhere like a nice and cold. In Bacargill. Yeah, somewhere way down. Way, way down. (laughs) (laughs) The bubble's open. Now off you go. No excuses. Get down there. Do you think, sweetheart, in all of these things, just looping back to the, um, for want of a better word, the genealogical attributes of being an alcoholic if you like it's it's part of your addiction of what that whole thing was and the recognition of that but that addictive behavior that one focus that one thing that becomes like the thorn in your side or the the thing that kind of we can't stop thinking about or doing it's almost like and and I'm saying this with huge respect but it's like that that mentality you won't change but do you think it's a case of changing your focus then so if we do have a flaw or we do have something that we don't like about ourselves is it just a case to reframe that incredible energy so people that overeat they've got an incredible discipline to put food constantly in their mouth but imagine using that same discipline to do something else that actually created a better outcome do you think it's as simple as that i Do you know what? I think it is exactly that simple, Kimmy, and I think that's the part that um, unnerves us and rattles us because we kind of, I, I, my experience leads me to believe we like to have, not only do we like a label, but we like, it's almost like we need an algorithm to, to sort ourselves out. It's like there's got to be this complex thing with all these moving parts to provide a solution to said problem but i i know you know like i know tomorrow is friday that how we do anything is how we do everything so if you look at a person so using obviously i can only use myself as an example however i do feel strongly that a lot of us that that sort of how we do anything is how we do everything but i'll, I'll speak from my own experience so if, I, if, we, if we go on the assumption that how we do anything is how we do everything, you're absolutely correct. Now, I can use this as a superpower. I can go, I am so good at being all in on the things that I am enthusiastic about. And so I have this unique superpower to go above and beyond what is considered normal. And, but the thing is, I can use this superpower for anything because how I do anything is how I do everything. And to to complement and couple what you said about our focus, having more awareness now, and as we know, once the mind is stretched, it can't go back to its old way of thinking. Now, because I understand how this thing called life, this human experience works a little better, so my understanding is better, I know that I can reframe things and I know that everything starts with thinking. So if I think I have a problem, then I've, I've got a problem. But if I think towards the contrast of the problem, which could be seen as a, as a positive truth or the opposite. So if I think something different about something, my thoughts then change and how I view that completely changes so it starts with thinking and then it our thoughts create our feelings and emotions so if i think about something differently i am then going to feel a particular way and that will drive that emotional response 
which will then in turn affect my choices, my decisions, my attitude, my behaviours. And I, I like have that little flow chart on the back of my eyelids. Like I know it goes think, then feel, then choices. It cannot happen any other way. So if I know that and I know me, I know how I do anything is how I do everything, I can then ensure that I <clears throat> pre-frame, reframe uh, my, my experiences so that it can serve me. So it gets an alignment with the direction that I'm going in and the outcomes that I, that I need or that my family needs or my business needs or my community needs or the beautiful Kim Morrison needs. I can, I can tweak that. Mm. And you tweak well, I have to say. Oh, oh. you tweak <laughs> well. In your incredible um, experiences, that aptitude, that way of thinking, feeling, creating emotions and then creating choices and better choices. And as you're a man that's, you know, not as young as he was in the Navy and things like that, as you're aging and you're a dad of some incredible kids, amazing, beautiful kids that are just extraordinary representations of you, um, do you think then that's what's led you into wanting to master this so that you now are doing the line of work that you're doing alongside the personal training. Talk to us about that. Yes, uh, that certainly has. And, and my life's experiences, my life's journey, um, this, this enormous endurance event that we all seem to be on, um, isn't it interesting, the parallels of running and life, my God. So, mm-hmm. Um, I've skidded through a few aid stations, Kimmy, in my life. I've skidded through a few. Um, the look, I the, to me, my two businesses they complement each other really well. It creates this health literacy, this this looking at all the major players in life, and I, and as we know, it's like that saying. Um, you are what you eat. So we've all heard that 655,000 times. I, I am now of the opinion you are what you think. And so if we know we are what we think, if I fuel my body with um, undesirable products uh, like alcohol, um, drugs, bad food, processed food and, and stuff rep- repetitively, it's going it, to it directly affects the way I think. So what we do with our bodies in terms of movement, in terms of how we nourish, replenish and fuel our body, that that directly affects how we think and we and we can end up with the stinking thinking. And so if I know that, then I can make suggestions and support, nurture and educate people on a physical front because of the many years, nearly two decades in this profession. Like I I, I don't proclaim to know everything, but I, I've worked with thousands of people now. I, I have a rough idea of the common thread. So what we put into our body, how we move our body, that affects how we think, right? So we've got that covered. Well, in my mind, I've kind of got that covered. And so with the mind gym and my other business, if we know that everything starts with thinking, I can then also guide and nurture people to, just like myself, to 
gain resources and tools to provide solutions to their thinking so they can have because what goes on in between our ears directly affects our human experience and so that I, I they they integrate together beautifully it's it's harmonious how these two businesses work together and i'm yet to find and i'm sure they're out there uh, I, I haven't found someone that is doing what we are currently doing here like i said i'm sure i'm sure there are people doing it um, but I just think it's a beautiful blend of two very, very positively um, geared services. I, I've seen someone that ha has done a little similar, but it's very different as well. You know, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg, mm -hmm. uh, the actor. Mm -hmm. So he's so he's got it. He's got it. I'm off on a tangent. Cheapest creepers. Put a lead on him. Mm -hmm. So he's got a he's got a he's got a chain of gyms in the states, right? So he's got this massive monopoly. He's got this huge enterprise of gyms all throughout America. And what he's also got is a hamburger joint. So he's got a franchise of takeaway food. And I'm like, that's so clever. It's frustrating. So it's like he's he's plumping up the chickens. So he's, he's fattening everybody up. And then he's like leading them through one door. Yep, grab yourself a burger, upsize with the fries, get some mozzarella sticks. And then just on the left there is a couple of flyers about this gym I've got just around the corner. So I'm like, you are, that's clever. So there, there's another example of somebody. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But is it, com yeah, is it complimentary? That's the real thing. No. Nah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got me thinking just before, you know how we all go down the rabbit hole and the more we do this work, the more we actually realise there's so much we don't know. But <laughs> yeah. that line of, you know, you are what you eat, I remember that becoming a little bit more profound in people saying you are what you eat eats. And it's true because whatever oh, wow. food yeah. fed is what we're actually, what we're eating. But then when you said we are what we think, I then thought, who are we anyway? How do we know who we are or what we are? And when did we start to be who we are? And when did we assume the role of who we are? And is mm. it that we are who we think thinks? Is it beyond what we are? And I just, I don't know, you just hit something there and you and I both love these conversations. <laughs> I know. Well, who the hell are we anyway? And yeah. I just, I don't know, you just got me fired up there. What do you think? <laughs> uh, well, I think I'm you and, and you are me. That's right. And we are delicately and somewhat magnificently integrated That's at a deep right. neurological level, both consciously and unconsciously, all the way down. All the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's one of those mind bending questions mm -hmm. um but yeah you're right i mean god you could achieve it we might have to ask do another mr. podcast let's do it uh, yeah yeah we, we need to channel our uh, mr alan watts and see yeah. what he thinks about about yeah. this little question get our beautiful favorite paul alicio back in here and get him to oh my about Jeez, I love his conversations too oh um, my god yeah sweetheart you and i could talk forever i have such huge respect for you i love your community i love your mind jim i have loved absolutely loved watching your involvement my involvement over the past decade in particular there is a, a beautiful kinship. You're a brother from another mother to me. If there, was, <laughs> yeah. if there was one quote, I know you've said a few things throughout the show, but if there was one quote that really, you know, sits with you at the moment, what would that be that you could share with us? 
<sighs> Look, I might I might ride the coattails of that little quote earlier because I, it, it really is profound to me and that is you are what you think. Um, and, the, and the reason why I love that so much is I, I've, I've gone down the rabbit hole of reading some of the original self-help books. So when that paradigm shift started, and I think the most recent one was 1903 or 1909. I could be wrong. It's one of those dates. And that was As a Man Thinketh by, I think it's Greg Allen or James Allen. Uh, and that was one of the the launching platforms for self development, and a lot of the like Think and Grow Rich and um, what Dale Carnegie and all of they will all reference this particular book. And so that whole book is based off, you know, our thoughts and our thinking and how we basically create the experience that we want. And so that at the moment, like that turns me on immensely. It's like we we are in the driver's seat, darling Kimmy. We've got both hands on the steering wheel going down Nicklin Way, doing mm. the speed limit. I, I just looked it up for you so that you know it's As a Man Thinketh by James Allen, and certainly it was published in first in 1903. And oh, right. my God. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Carnegie's and the um, Thinking Grow Hill. Rich, Napoleon Hill, all of those books. When you read, if you ever have the opportunity, any of the listeners listening to this and you read them, you realise that it's it's actually quite profound. And then if you have a look at how they've written those books and then you read some of the books based on our cultural evolution our ancestral roots and our beautiful cultures. The wisdom is in the rocks. The wisdom is in the songs. The wisdom is in the, the, the respect that we have. And I think it comes back to that we are, like you said, all one. There is no separation. And if we could just tap into this reservoir of incredible thinking and possibility, then we really could get through this the strange time that we're in called COVID in, a, in quite a remarkable way. Just to finish up, what are your thoughts around what's happening on a spiritual, mental, emotional and physical level with how COVID hit us? What is your way of thinking how that's affecting humanity? Oh, God bless you, Kimmy. Another cracker of a question. Um, it's so for me, it is 100%. I love it. I know I've already had my little time with the quote, but I've got another little uh, another little gem, and it's and it's the quote about ships sinking. And the quote goes: "A ship doesn't sink because of the water around it or the water it displaces. The ship sinks when you let the water in." So it is again protecting ourselves at all times. Don't let don't let those the negativity bias start eating into your into your mind into your human experience you know protect yourself a little bit and it doesn't mean put up titanium walls and don't let anybody in it's about yeah the reframing and changing the way we think about the the, the current environment the current climate and 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 look to the contrast because it's so easy. If so, it's, it really is that easy and it is that simple. And, and I think that's where we get a bit unstuck. It's like if somebody says, I'm feeling really unmotivated, demotivated, I just can't get one foot in front of the other. It's like, well, what's the opposite of that? 
which is obviously motivation or, you know, energy, excitement, enthusiasm. It's like, cool, well, there's the opposite. So how are we going to generate that for you? So if we look at the current environment and the pandemic and the limitations it has on us, we can focus and amplify those limitations. Like, oh, I can't even go, you know, I can't go over to Thailand. I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, you know, can't means cannot. I, 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 we choose not to or we, we just cannot at the moment. But what we can do is travel around this beautiful, magnificent country we call Australia. What we can do is start doing some of those hobbies and those things on home soil with the people that we love, our important people. What we can do is start to learn a new language. So when we do travel, we can, you know, utilise that. What we can do is start working towards that that career we've always wanted you know working on that passive income creating that website learning an instrument so it's it's all about how we view it in my opinion and um what what things mean to us so i think the pandemic has has delivered us great teachings great lessons and has forced our hand at looking at the contrast of a lot of these limitations i love it i love it so much As we come to a close, my friend, is there one final message for the person who tunes in to this incredible little podcast called the Self Love Podcast, people that, you know, are really on their own journey and there's no accidents to anyone who's listening to this show right now and I'm sure their heart has expanded in ways that mine has been listening to you. Is there a final message to the beautiful soul that's listening to you right this moment? The if someone is listening and they have found some value or have been touched or moved in any shape or form, I think first and foremost, that listener and myself can both agree we would be very extremely thankful and appreciative for you, Kimmy. I think first and foremost, the work that you do and your drive and relentless, unsatiated passion for enabling us to to come back to ourselves and know that we can heal ourselves we can love ourselves that little bit more and providing those resources and tools for myself and and all of your listeners and community i just think we owe you a a massive round of applause and debt of gratitude for what you do um so thank you and i and i love you kimmy you know i do i'm one of your biggest fans and i'll be an even greater fan and investor should you come up with the ball balm the spritz the spritz for the balls of steel you know you can you know you can so the listeners are like yeah that's right jamie you remind her that's the one bro so we can hucky so we can hucky hucky out the the john thomas and uh that would be great so that so there's that but I think uh, to, 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 quote, <laughs> to quote a great philosopher, Mr. Dr. Zeus, uh, you can tell the level of my education when I reference Dr. Zeus. But anyway, so he's got a bit in one of his books that I read to one of my children a while back. <clears throat> and he says, inch by inch, it's a cinch. And yard by yard, it's hard. And what you do a little, you'll be able to do a lot. And I'll say that again. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. And yard by yard, it's hard. And what you do a little, you'll eventually do a lot. And so for me, if somebody comes to me and they're like, you know, I'm carrying all this extra weight, I can't seem to get 
active or I can't stop smashing my face into a packet of Tim Tams of an evening. I just can't stop eating the Colonel's dirty chicken and the secret herbs and spices. <clears throat> I, w- I will quote Dr. Zeus all day long because what that represents to me is you start so small, so small that it frustrates you. So if you're listening to this and you're, <clears throat> at a, you're a bit stuck, whether it's on how to love yourself, how to find self-fulfillment, how to enhance your self-image, how to get fit, how to give away the booze, give away the drugs, just start being a semi-decent human being. If that's something that you're struggling with, then <clears throat> don't keep in the forefront of your mind uh, good old Dr. Zeus's uh, little phrase, inch by inch it's ascension, yard by yard it's hard. Because if you do try and do too much at once, i.e., um, try and you know run 20 20 k's and you haven't exercised for six and a half years you're going to hurt yourself you're going to you and you're not going to be able to keep it up but if you just did a little bit like just went out to the mailbox and back every day for 10 days that cumulative total is going to start to increase so start really small no matter what you do and do that for a while that's that's about all I got, Kimmy. You're amazing. <clears throat> and I just I, I don't want it to end, but I'm just so grateful. If people wanted to follow you, find out more about you, because I know that the work that you're doing as a hypnotherapist, as a mind coach, as a cognitive behavioral specialist, as someone who really does want the best for everybody, I know you're offering this also uh, online. You don't have to be here with us on the Sunshine Coast. Could you tell us how people can get in touch with you or if they're interested in your beautiful gym or your beautiful new book that's coming? Hello. Um, (laughs) Talk to us a little bit about that and just how do we follow you, beautiful? Oh, thank you. Uh, Look, for for all things physical, we've got Jamie Milne Training, which is our gym here on the Sunshine Coast, so all the usual social media silos. Uh, and websites. Is it and, uh, jamiemilntraining.com? Yeah, it is. It Not is. an AU. Uh, oh, good question. I should know that. See, this is that intelligent, stupid person. <laughs> like I've got, I've, got, I've got most of it covered. It's just those minor details like the AU. <laughs> I'll look so, it up uh, while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's where that clever, intelligent, logical, rational, analytical Kimmy Morrison comes in to save the day. Um, the wise mind. The wise mind has chimed in. It is um, a dot com, my friend. Just a dot com. Oh, there we go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It is a, a dot com. See, inch by inch, it's a stitch. JMT Mind Gym, same thing. All so that's JMT Mind Gym. All the usual social media silos. Um, got my own little podcast, Pure Jamie Milne Podcast, and uh, yeah, you can you can find me there, and I'll be more than happy to just have a chat with anybody should they be interested. I will put all of these into the show notes, and just finally, tell us about the new book that's coming. Oh, so I've got a I've got a couple. One's a little poetry book. My auntie calls me the Renaissance Man. Uh, I've got a little poetry book, and that's called Froth by Jamie Milne. That is about my uh, undulating, terrifying, and ha- ha- harmonizing relationship with the ocean. Uh, so the poem's about the, basically the, the parallels between life and surfing. And then uh, the ultramarathon of life, which has been about five years in the making. So essentially what we've covered in this beautiful podcast, this in, I've thoroughly enjoyed this actually to be honest this has been the highlight of my week um it's been amazing so thank you the yeah so it's it's a bit obviously a more granular 
look into into my world and what's and what's led me here yeah and i cannot recommend it enough it's funny because all my speaking my keynote speaks i've always called the ultra marathon of life i always think that it's such a metaphor like you said at the beginning that it is such a metaphor we hit walls we get blisters we chafe we burn we hurt we vomit we diarrhea we wonder how how we're ever going to get through some bumps are really big and then all of a sudden we feel energized and we feel good and all of a sudden we don't notice the pain until you hit the next one and then you need cotton in your feet and you need massage in your just like oh my god it really is the ultra marathon of life and I I just want to thank you thank you for thanking me that really brought me to tears hearing you say that but I love what I do I don't even think of it as work actually like you it's just what we are here to serve and to do for our beautiful communities which are all one big community but Mm. thank you from the bottom of my heart sweetheart I'm very very grateful and I know that the listeners will enjoy following you we can't wait to get your books and I'm also really really mindful that there will be a lot of amazing men in particular women that listen to this podcast may want to share this one with their partners because listening to someone like you often the hardest thing I've noticed in the work that I do is a lot of men want to do the work but they don't really know where to go or there's that culture of asking Mm. for help so I hope that every one of you, men and women, teenagers, all of us get the opportunity. I hope you get to meet this phenomenal soul one day and certainly you'll get to follow him with his podcast, his books, his learnings and his wise, wise, talented <laughs> words um, that sometimes we have a real good laugh at all of our stupidity. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're beautiful, Kimmy. Thank you so much. And, and, and I'm sincere. Mina, thank you for being you and all that you do. Uh, we've given each other a, a fair few back rubs over this podcast, but I geez, bring them on. I yeah. love a lower back scratch from you. Can <laughs> God bless you. Oh, watch it well, so long as I don't spray you with our new <laughs> blend that's coming out. The perk, the perk me up, the spritz. <laughs> we, that's what we need cinnamon and marshmallow. Oh, stop. I love you. Take care, Jamie. You too, darling. Thank you, Kimmy. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.